0: Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1pm for the trip of a lifetime. Yep, it's Monday again. Can you actually believe it, Shavua I hope everybody had a peaceful and a safe weekend. We are really uh, struggling now in South Africa with uh, the surge of the third wave. And um, I hope that everybody is taking heed of the medical advice and just keeping to oneself so that we can allow this monster to move out of our system again. And uh, one of the best ways, as I always say, to counter not only the negative feeling and the, the, the anxiety and the fear, but to bring a lot of positivity to the world is to learn Torah. And so that's why I'm here with you for the next three quarters of an hour, and we are going to journey through the Bible. We've been discussing uh, Genesis. We're in Chapter 29. We're actually quite at quite a dramatic place um, in the Bible we are at the point where our forefather, Jacob, cuts a deal with that swindler, Lavan, his uncle, that he will work seven years to marry his younger daughter, Rachel. And as we spoke previously, Rachel was destined for Yaakov. He, uh, she was the younger daughter of Lavan. Yaakov was the younger daughter of Rivka, and they were destined for each other. But unbeknownst to us, Or unbeknownst to to the the fate and how the whole story unravels, Leah, the older sister, knows that she was destined for Asab, but in fact did not want to marry him because of the bad name that he uh, that 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 he had made for himself, and so she cried herself so pitifully that God has mercy on her. And in a twist of history and in a twist of fate, what we have in fact. Is that Yaakov lands up marrying Leah? So let's follow inside. If you have uh, the text in front of you, it is chapter 29, it's verse 22, bet, and we are in the parsha of Vayeitze. As always, I welcome lots of comment, lots of questions. Three four five one nine is the SMS line. Oh six one eight nine five. 1019 is our, uh, telegram line. So let's get stuck into the first verse. Lavan invites all the local people and he makes a wedding feast. Now, Lavan is a swindler. Lavan isn't going to go pay for this lavish, beautiful wedding with, you know, 200 people and uh, the top florist decorating the place and the best caterer making the food and the best band playing. He doesn't like spending money on anything. And this happens to be one of them. So the Midrash actually goes and says that Lavan called the townsmen together. And he went and said to them, you know what, it's in our best interest that we keep this man, Yaakov, for as long as we can. Why? Because you know how much trouble we have had with our water supply. As we we read previously, we know that the, the entire city had to come together around a well and draw water from the well. And it had to be covered by a boulder so that others wouldn't use it. And he said, since this chappy Yaakov has come into our midst, no water um We no longer have to draw water anymore because the water is plentiful. But if he leaves, if we get him to leave, we will have no choice. Um, We are going to land up in the same water problems as before. So I suggest, he says to them, um, you go along with my plan and this is my plan. What does he want to do? He says, tonight... Or on the night of the wedding, I am going to give my daughter Leia instead of Rachel. And in the dark, he's not going to know too, too too much. He's not going to be able to tell the difference. And then he's going to get cross with me. And I will make another agreement with him regarding Rachel and make him work another seven years. And I know he's going to agree because he loves her very much. And then we will all benefit because the water supply will remain plentiful in his merit. Well, folks, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Lavan was a very big swindler, but everybody had their selfish intentions. People were very, very pleased with that plan, and they agreed not to let on to Yaakov. But <laughs> Lavan was such a swindler that he wasn't just satisfied in cheating Yaakov. He decided. He's going to pull off two tricks at the same time. So he says to the, the townspeople, well, here's my plan, but how do I know now that I can trust you all? That, uh, you know, what happens if you, one of you go tell Yaakov a little secret? So I'm going to have to make a deal with you. I want each one of you to bring me a deposit, whatever you have available. Well, in those days, there wasn't really a lot of money. People traded in commodities, and so everyone brought a deposit with the understanding that if anyone revealed the secret and would keep to it. One person brought meat, another brought wine, other people brought all different types of foods, and then, boom, he played a dirty trick on them all, and when he had all the food, he made the feast, meaning that he had got the entire townspeople to pay for the wedding, he didn't spend a cent on his own. And that's why it says, that Lavan gathered all the people, and he made a feast. It should have been the other way around. You make a feast, then you gather everybody. When you're making a wedding, you first pay for the wedding, you pay for the caterer, you pay for the flowers, you pay for the band, and then you invite the people. You don't invite the people and then try put together the feast. So this little verse comes to tell us <laughs> that Laban, good for nothing Lavon, true to himself, true to his, uh, his, uh, duplicity, not only Shnai's uh, poor old Yaakov, but he also takes the townspeople for a ride. So it's, it's actually quite a, an, an interesting, uh, um way that the Torah puts it in and actually hints to us of how bad, uh, Lavan was. Right, let's continue to the next verse, verse 23. Vayehi erev, and it was in the evening, Vayikachet Leah Bito, he took his daughter Leah, Vayave otta elav, he brought her to Yaakov, Vayavo um, eleha, and he consummated the marriage with her. Now, it said that the, this wedding took place on Friday night at the time of the greeting of the Shabbos. And the Midrash says something very interestingly, that the people sat down and they began to sing, Hailea, Hailea, Hailea. And instead of saying Hailea very clearly, they slurred the words to sound like, Hailea, Hailea, Hailea la la la. Yaakov thought they were merely trolling a tune. And Laban had arranged that too, says the Midrash, because if Yaakov came in the morning to complain, he would reply, but all the people told you it was Leah, they weren't going, ha-la-la-la-la, la, la, la. you seemed very pleased. And so the entire thing um, really, really, in a sense, got pretty, pretty much messed up, and Yaakov was, was fooled. There's still a lot more to be discussed about that. And you're going to see that destiny and that karma um, does play a part and that no deed goes unturned. But for that, we're going to have to wait until we come back in a short while. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and we are learning about the the fraud that Lavon brought upon Yaakov. And before we find out what the reaction of Yaakov was, let's go and see what else did he do, uh, um, Lavon to kind of like sort of sweeten the entire thing. This is now verse 24. Va'yite Lavan la et shivchato bito shivcha. And Laban also not only gave Leah as a wife, but he gave Zilpah, which, remember, was his common-law wife's daughter, it was his daughter, uh, to Leah as a handmaid. Now, this is very, very interesting because we said that he, through his wife, um, he had, and I believe his wife's name was Adina, they had Leah and Rachel. And then he had concubines, and his concubine had given birth to two girls, Billa and Zilpa. Now, what really should have happened was Billa belonged to Leah, Zilpa belonged to Rachel. That was just following the way that they were brought, uh, that they were, that they were birthed, right? The oldest and the, the, oldest and the youngest. So here we see that Zilpa is obviously younger than Billa. Uh, and he sh- she shouldn't have been given to Leah as a uh, as a servant, but in order to fool Yaakov, Laban gave Leah the younger one, Zilpa, because he wanted Yaakov to think that he was with Rachel, because the younger servant usually goes to the younger daughter. Now, what happened also in the meantime was that Rachel heard what was happening. And she was a very sensitive soul, a very very honest soul. She thought to herself, "How can I make believe that I know nothing and allow my sister to be embarrassed to death and if if Yaakov now comes and asks the secret password, she will now know what to answer, and he will refuse to, she won 't know what to answer, and she will refuse he will refuse to touch her um, and that embarrassing I, I, I might as well kill her and with that Rachel tells Leah the secret counter side. Now, this is a very, very powerful lesson. In fact, um, there is a, a huge indictment on anybody who embarrass, embarrasses another, particularly in public. It is considered as if you have killed the person. Now, um, hopefully you are not um, on the, 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 the giving end where you go out and embarrass somebody. But you have, unfortunately, had the awful experience of being embarrassed and having it on the receiving end. Now, this idea of embarrassment, just one needs to actually think about it because one knows when one gets embarrassed, one wants the, 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 the place to open up. You, 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 want, you want the ground to be swallowed. You don't know, you don't want to be where you, where you find yourselves. And it is, um, you know, blood. It says rushes to the face. You can turn red from embarrassment. That is, in a sense, the spiritual killing. Um, and it is actually a very, very bad um, uh, sin in in Judaism. So one needs to realize two things. On the one side, if you are the uh, recipient of this uh, embarrassment. There are many, many stories that are told of our sages where they suffered tremendous embarrassment and they did not retaliate because they realized that this embarrassment was orchestrated by God and that they themselves had to learn a lesson, that they themselves were guilty of something. And this cause of embarrassment was a kapara, was a repentance, was a a cleaning, a cleansing, was something that they were responsible for. And so they took it upon themselves in a very, um, a very positive way in that they didn't retaliate to the person who had embarrassed. Having said that, nevertheless, he who gives, um, a, a remark that cause, who, who, who makes a remark and, and causes one to become embarrassed is really, really held held very, very accountable. And it. we need to think about that ourselves at all times and ensure that we've never, ever embarrassed somebody, not privately, nor publicly. Publicly is even worse because now you are slaughtering the person in front of other people. Um, And it is incumbent upon us to make sure that we go back to the person and ask the person for forgiveness, not once, not twice, one has to go at least three times to ask for forgiveness. So, you know, during this time now, where we are um, struggling with 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 COVID and with so much uh, negativity around us, sometimes one of the ways that we make the world better um, is by looking into ourselves and seeing what parts of ourselves is not, you know, does not shine so brightly. What parts of ourselves? Um, have we used to to, to, to What wrong on other people And go ask those people for forgiveness So since we are learning this today If you've embarrassed somebody And I'm not only talking about Yesterday or a week ago Or a year ago It could be 35 years ago um, And you remember how terrible the situation was Phone up that person Apologize for your behavior Because there is no justification For embarrassment there is no justification for hurting another person. And so go on, make amends, and um, let's rise to the occasion, as Rachel did. And can, you can just imagine the amount of self-sacrifice that Rachel had to go through. Uh, you know, here she's been waiting seven years to marry uh, the man who is in love with her, and at the last moment, because she realizes that her, her sister will suffer a tremendous amount of uh, of embarrassment she foregoes her own needs so that she could save her daughter i mean her sister from that. So go on and uh, ensure that you too um, are not guilty in any way whatsoever of embarrassing another person. And Just one last note on the topic of embarrassment um, and this is somewhere where perhaps we we are more lax, even more lax. And where we need to 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 be even more careful, and that is uh, with regard to the um, emb- the embarrassment of children. How many times we sit um, in 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 adult company, or we're at the shops, or we do something, and unfortunately our children do not behave in the appropriate manner, and uh, we lose it with them, and we start shouting or we start calling their names or start, you know, doing a whole lot of things that are really, really embarrassing. Be careful not to embarrass your children. Not to say that you need to negate and to let them go with the bad behavior, but what you do need to do is you need to ensure that you do not embarrass them, both in public and in private. One needs to uh, educate our children on how to behave, need to show them right from wrong, but not in a uh, way of embarrassment. Thank you, Joseph. You said you're listening with interest to the tricks of Laban the swindler. Absolutely. Just one caveat to that. Don't learn from his tricks. Right. So we are at the point where Rachel, um, Rachel tells Leah the password and even more, Rachel actually goes one step further It says that she sneaked into the bridal chamber, and every time Yaakov spoke to Leah, Rachel replied so that he could not recognize Leah by her voice. So uh, Yaakov consummates the marriage without knowing that he had been tricked. He had asked his bride, she gave him the sign, she responded properly, and all seemed or all all, all, all well, but it did not end well. Let's look in verse twenty-five. Va'yehi Baboker, and it was in the morning. V'hineh hi Leah, behold, it was Leah. Va'yomer elavon, Yaakov says to Elavon, Mazot asitali, what have you done to me? Halo berachel imach, did I not work for Rachel? V'lama rimitani. Why did you cheat me? Now here's the interesting thing. Listen again to the verse. It was morning and behold it was Leah. And then what do we hear? That he goes to Lavan and he starts shouting at Lavan as to why he was being cheated. Surely when you wake up in the morning and you've realized you've married the wrong woman, who would you shout at first? At Leah. Why does the Torah not give any indication of the conversation between Yaakov and Leah? Well, this is actually a very, very interesting one, because this is where you see that no deed goes unturned, and that the justice of Hashem, the justice of God, works in a hands-breadth, works all the time, um, and is very, very exacting. Obviously, when he recognizes Leah in the morning, Yaakov is furious. And the Midrash does fill in the conversation with Leah. What does he say to Leah? You're a cheat, just like your father. All night long I called you Rachel, and you responded as if you were she. Okay? And Leah responds as follows. Now listen up, folks. She replies like this. It was from you that I learnt this. Your example taught me that it's permissible to lie for a good cause. Why? 21 years ago, your father sent Asaph to bring him food, and you rushed to set it before him. And when your father asked you who you were, what did you reply? I'm Asaph, your firstborn. You did not refrain from lying to carry out your mother's orders. Well, said Leah in response, today I am similarly following my father's bidding. Besides, I too have a good motive, because I truly want to be your wife. You're a saint, you're a tzaddik, and are all that I ever wanted. I could not bear to think that I might have been forced to marry a criminal like Asav, And the Midrash finishes up and says that Yaakov no longer had complaints against Leah. Okay? Lavon was another story. So, the verse actually leaves out the discussion with Leah. By Hebokeh it was morning, the Hinehi Leah, and behold it was Leah. And then we just move on to Lavon. Yaakov realized that the wheels of destiny turn and no deed gets, if I can put it in inverted commas, unpunished. And if he was guilty of this, he too found it now reverting back to him in the same way. So what you see now is that he lied in order to get the birthright Leia lied in order to get married to Yaakov Both were from good intentions And we, we've we spoken a lot about the fact that um, There was a manipulation of destiny That uh, he didn't really in essence lie We spoke about it a lot um, And you can go back into my previous podcasts Which are available on the CHI-FM uh, website And you can listen to those discussions. But what comes around, goes around, comes around, goes around again. Every deed that you do does not remain unturned. You will have a turn where you will find yourself in a place where the very thing that you caused or the very thing that you did will play out with you, good and not good. And this, again, is going back to the discussion that we had about embarrassing and being embarrassed is why our sages would ensure that when they were embarrassed, they would not retaliate. They would recognize that if they were, be, they had been put in a position where they were brought to embarrassment, it was because they might have some, at some point in time, embarrassed somebody else. And so they swallowed that embarrassment and took on that, that pain, that anguish, um, in order to be an atonement for their, for their embarrassment. Very, very, very interesting. And Yaakov actually lets go of the entire thing because he realizes that Leia was right. Having said that, so on a very, very deep level, when one finds oneself in a situation, and you're asking the question, why? First of all, nine out of ten times, um, I'm not sure that all of us can answer uh, why. But in answering or trying to understand the why, one must come to realize that everything that happens to one, one, one in this world is through divine providence. God is watching. And if you were not meant to have it, get it, whatever it is, come your way, you wouldn't. If you do find yourself in the situation, you need to ask, what is it that I must learn from it? Not look at the the person who is meeting out that unpleasant situation, because they themselves have their own cheshbon, they have their own accountability to God. If you are the person who is embarrassing, God is gonna hold you accountable and He's gonna hold it against you that you embarrass somebody. But that you are the, the uh, embarrassing the other person, the other person must realize that it wasn't really you insofar as is that you deserved to get that uncomfortable uh situation. It's is even a much, much wider uh discussion because there are times that we find ourselves in relationships, we find ourselves in places where, you know, you have to ask the question, why? What have I got to learn from it? A lot of the time, when one comes and one has self-introspection, then that uncomfortable situation clears itself up. Having said all of that, nevertheless, that does not mean that if you are, in a, in a, say, in an abusive relationship, while you are there to learn Uh, lessons about abuse, uh, and maybe it's for you not to be codependent, maybe it's for you to stand on your own two feet, there could be a whole lot of reasons. Nevertheless, you you should not and must not tolerate that, and there needs to be some type of practical uh, response. And what we're going to see when we come back from the break is that that's what Yaakov does. On a deep level, he understands what happened with him and Leah. Nevertheless, he is going to confront the evil Lavan, and he is going to uh, ask him, why did you cheat on me? We're going to go for a bit of a break. Back soon. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we're now going to see how our forefather uh, Yaakov actually goes and confronts Lavan the wicked. Well, first he goes and says, hello, and we read that before, sorry, mazot asitali. What have you done to me? Did I not work those seven years for Rachel Lama Rimitani? Why have you cheated me? Well, how does smooth talking love and respond? It is, in our place, it's simply not done to give a younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn So basically he was abrogating Responsibility He says this is forbidden by law And custom here And it's absolutely unthinkable To let a younger daughter marry Before her oldest daughters And if I tried it, trust me The authorities would stop me Like that was uh, A bit of a taunt But it's an even deeper taunt And this again is showing you the karma is showing you the destiny What was Lavon doing? He was taunting Yaakov because he heard how Yaakov had gotten the birthright from Esav. And so what he was doing was he was giving him a dig in saying, in our town such things simply aren't done because you might have become the firstborn even though you are the younger son. But, hey, we don't do such things here. So that was a bit of a dig to Yaakov, and this is uh, like a bit of a shtech to Yaakov, and Yaakov understands that. That you can see that whilst he got the the the, the birthright, um, he in fact wasn't the firstborn, and um, yeah, Lavan was playing um, like a pseudo saying saying, "Well, we don't do these things here, right, mate? We don't give a younger one before the first before the firstborn." But to reconcile the entire issue, what does he continue and say? Lavan, male shavua zot, complete this bridal week. Um, for this one We will give you the other one In return for the work that you will do for me For yet another seven years Okay So um, it's very very interesting That he uses the word we Because he was going and insinuating again That all the local leaders again have agreed That they will make a great feast for your wedding and they will celebrate it, and they've agreed for you to marry Rachel. I guess he's going to pull it off again. That um, you know they'll pay for the entire wedding. So we don't have a lot of time left, but I just wanted to go through uh, some of the the laws that we use today, that we we apply today to um, um, Orthodox weddings, which actually derive from this pasha, from this reading about the marriage of Leah and Rachel. And, of course, the most famous one is the fact that before the bride is led to the chuppah, the groom comes and covers the bride up um, so that he can ensure that he is, in fact, marrying the person who he has intention to. Like, we all smile about it now. It's actually a very, very beautiful custom, But that is derived now from the fact that Yaakov did not go check who he was marrying before she was veiled. And therefore, um, we ensure that today the, the groom sets his eyes upon his future wife before they walk down the aisle. That's one thing. Another question is, why does then, does she get veiled? Well, we know that the groom and bride are uh, born anew on their wedding day, they they actually fast both of them most times unless it's a Rosh Kodesh, and that is because they're going through a personal Yom Kippur. They're going through a day of atonement, and the, all their sins are cleansed. And it says that the beauty of the bride is very very powerful, um, and it be, it gets veiled so that no man should gaze upon her. It should only be she should only be for the eyes of the husband and therefore we have the custom to veil after he's gone and seen that this is the girl that he is going to get married to, um, she becomes veiled and she wears a veil. All of this comes right back down here um, in the custom of the marrying of Yaakov and what he, whom he thought was Rachel, but in fact uh, uh, Leah the other thing that uh, we learn from here is male um, shavuah zot complete the bridal week for this one and this is where we get the custom of the sheva brachot or as you say sheva brachas what does that mean that means that once a bride and groom are betrothed not only do we have a great feast to celebrate the wedding but it is a custom for us to celebrate for seven Complete days um, I joked with A um, a colleague of mine An Indian I said I think that You know we, You can just say as much About the Jewish weddings That it's, it too Is an Indian wedding But if we actually Look at it historically It's probably the Indians That took it from The Jewish people That we go on For seven days So What does that mean What a Sheva Brachas means It means that Once in every 24-hour period, generally it's done at night, though there's there's nothing to do it during the day either. Um, The family and guests come around together, and we have a festive meal. And after the festive meal, everybody obviously washes for bread. And after the festive meal, there is benching, there's mazon, there's the grace after meals. And then there is blessing said on a cup of wine. And the same seven blessings – that are bestowed upon the bride and groom um, is uh, bestowed upon the bride and groom again. The bride and groom drink from those cups. And the custom is is that if there are any unmarried people, um, uh, they, that they actually drink from that wine because it is a scholar it is a good omen for them to, to get married. So um, bride and, and, and groom, we celebrate for seven days. If a widower marries a widow or a divorcee, then that is cut down to three days. There's also a whole lot of customs of when to get married. Um, it's a custom to hold a, a wedding when the moon is full. That is in the middle of the month, the 14th, 15th of the month. Um, it is a custom um, to get married the best day of the week to get married is in fact a Tuesday. The reason being is that when we go back to Bereishit, you go back to Genesis, when God talks about um, the creations He made on every single day, when He brings them into being, at the end of every creation it says, "And God saw that it was good." But on Tuesday, God says it was good twice. So if you want, if you are choosing to get married and you want the most auspicious day to get married, believe it or not, it is a Tuesday. We generally do not get married on a Friday, um, lest we come to violate the Shabbat, nor do we get married um, on a Yom Tov, on a Jewish holiday, uh, whether it's Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah, etc., um, because again, we might come, God forbid, to violate the Yom Tov. We also do not get married in the, in Cholomoyd, in the intermediate dates, day, uh, days, because we shouldn't mix festivities together. Two celebrations should not be mixed together. Uh, one of the other um, ideas is that one cannot make a wedding um, um, during the, the period between Pesach and Shavuot. As we all know, this is the time of Sfira. uh Rabbi Akeva, during this time in biblical uh, times, um, lost 24,000 disciples. Um, in the first 33 days, they were wiped out, interestingly, by a respiratory plague called Asc- um, Ascara. I kind of like think to myself, could this have been a biblical type of COVID? Nevertheless, um, we do not uh, have weddings during that time as it was a time of national mourning. I have one little small thing to say on that, but I'm just trying to give you a a timeline. Um and uh, I think that's where we're going to stop right now because I can see that we need to go for another break. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We've got a, a couple of minutes, uh, Joseph. Thank you. Yes, it's important that every situation does have a lesson for us, and it is important that we look into it. And that's where I really, really want to uh, to 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 end off. Very interestingly, and it just, it just caught my eye. Like, kind of like a, a side comment, um, where in the Ma'am Loez it says that Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 disciples and during these 33 days they were wiped out, out by a respiratory plague called Asqara. And it says this respiratory plague known as Askara is the worst of all 930 known fatal diseases. And what is it for? It is a punishment for slander and malicious gossip. Now, I am not pointing fingers. I am not making any suggestions. I'm just reading, and I'm just dropping out a thought out there. Perhaps one of the ways that we can uh, work spiritually to get this COVID disease out of our hair, (laughs) out of our lungs, out of our space, is for us to – Go back kind of like full circle, um, back to to uh, to what we were saying in the beginning, that every situation is a lesson for us. There is a lot of slander. There's a lot of loss and horror. There's a lot of malicious gossip. There's a lot of embarrassing. There's a lot of anger out there. Let's make it um, our mission, this week and every week, every day now, to speak nicely, to speak kindly, to speak benevolently, to speak only good. And if we have embarrassed somebody, if we have spoken ill of somebody, go up and say sorry, because that itself will be able to uh, turn the tide against this horrible disease that we are all battling. And with that thought, I wish everybody a wonderful week ahead. Please, God, I will be back here this time next week.